May in Oklahoma is a reason to be afraid sometimes, right? And we had some weather this week that was pretty frightening. What shall we do when the circumstances, the storms, the tornadoes of life come our way? Sometimes figuratively, sometimes spiritually, and sometimes physically, right? And while we were spared in Norman, Oklahoma, although there was certainly uh, flooding and wind damage, uh, we have friends and brothers and sisters that aren't too far from here in Elk City and other places who are still trying to understand the damage and destruction that has come through their communities. And we certainly want to be prayerful for those that are, are coming out of those storms. Uh, loss of life in one in a rural area. Um, and you should know that through your gifts and through our relationships, especially with BGCO, that disaster relief is, is immediate in response. If you'd like to find ways that you can be more engaged in that on a personal level, then I'm certain that we can make some connections. We have some of our folks in our church that are involved with some of those disaster response teams, and it would certainly uh, we could help network and get you connected if that'd be something you'd like to, to be a part of. Let's go to, pray, go to the Lord in prayer and pray for these in our immediate area that are impacted by the storms of the last week. Father, your creation is so incredible, so majestic, and so powerful, and yet we are also reminded of the storms that still take place and the devastating destruction that can happen, and we have witnessed that in our community over these last, uh, last days. We thank you for the safety we've had in our community, but we, our hearts go out to those who have been impacted by the devastation of tornadoes, of winds, of flooding. And we ask that your presence, your people be there, bringing comfort, bringing hope, being, bringing the promise of life, abundant and eternal. And Lord, we give you thanks for the presence of your Spirit who comes and brings comfort no matter what our situation is. We give you thanks in the name of Christ. Amen. So what shall we do? What shall we do in the midst of life? And we've been asking that question post-Easter. In light of the resurrection, in light of the empty tomb, what shall we do? How shall we be the people of God in this place? And today I want to point our attention to a story in Acts chapter 3, and we're going to get there in a few minutes. But I want to challenge us with this idea of responding to the storms, responding to the challenges of life with courage. And that we can be a people, and what should we do? We can be courageous. And we can be the, and offer that example in our world and in our community. How many of you, and we'll see if any of you, how honest we can be here, right? I remember when I was, gosh, just a kid, this would have been uh, 45 years ago. I remember the first time I saw The Wizard of Oz. I think we, we had this old TV and, and it was color, but you started the movie and it's black and white. And then you can just remember the color that, that came forth, bright colors, when you were in the land of Oz, right? And it was a beautiful and powerful picture and it was a, a beautiful story that was told in The Wizard of Oz. And there's a character in that story, that the lion, right? Not the lion of Judah that we sang about this morning, right? but a cowardly lion. And listen to this cowardly lion as he kind of gives his own story, as he gives his own challenge of coming to grips 
not with the fear that he struggled with, but in wanting to be a courageous lion. He says, courage. What makes a king out of a slave? Courage. What makes the flag on the mast to wave? Courage. What makes the elephant charge his, tu- his tusk in the misty mist or the dusky dust? What makes the muskrat guard his musk? Courage. What makes the sphinx the seventh wonder? Courage. What makes the dawn come up like thunder? Courage. What makes the hottentot so hot? And what puts the ape in apricot? What have they got that I ain't got? And together, Dorothy and the tin man and the scarecrow reply, courage. Later on in the story, as Dorothy is saying goodbye to the lion, she says this, Goodbye, lion. I know it isn't right, but I'm going to miss the way you used to holler for help before you found your courage. And the lion replied, Dorothy, I never would have found it. I never would have found my courage if it hadn't been for you. What shall we do, church? What shall we do in light of the glorious, life-saving and transforming story of the cross and of the resurrection? Surely we can be courageous as we live our lives, as we encounter people who day to day are struggling and hurting and in fear. And maybe we, like Dorothy, can come alongside of some others and help them find the courage through Christ that is offered through His grace and through His salvation. We are called to be a courageous people. Now I want to start today in the book of Isaiah. If you would turn to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35, this is a beautiful passage, it's a a, a powerful passage that that gives us a picture into the future. It it addresses Israel where they are and in their struggles with with their disobedience and being in and out of favor with God, struggling with salvation, struggling with injustices around them, the oppression around them as, as they would experience that as a people. And in Isaiah 35... Isaiah offers a picture, a picture of the future, a picture of that day when salvation will come. We begin in verse 4. Say to those with an anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Take courage is the word of the Lord that comes from Isaiah as we enter into these times of struggle as we enter into these times where we might have fear, and certainly there's times when tornadoes are coming that we should have a healthy sense of fear and of caution. The Scripture deals with this idea of fear often, and it paints the opposite of fear, excuse me, the opposite of courage as fear. 
In Joshua 1, chapter 9, we have the story of, of Joshua that's come to, to lead the children of Israel. Moses has just passed, and, and the children of Israel are preparing to, to go into the promised land. And the Lord comes to Joshua, and the Lord comes to the, to, to the people of God, the children of God, in this critical moment when Joshua is challenged with this new leadership opportunity, maybe a little fear. And listen to the word of the Lord in Joshua 1.9, be strong and be courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. You see, the opposite of courage is fear, is trembling, of, is di being dismayed. And the scripture repeatedly challenges us and invites us not to an experience of fear and being dismayed and of trembling, but rather to an experience of courage. In Matthew 14, verse 27, the disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee and the storm begins to rage. The disciples, seasoned fishermen, seasoned men of the Sea of Galilee, these disciples on the boat become afraid. And the Lord comes to them in the midst of the sea and says, Take courage, do not be afraid. Take courage, it is I. I'm with you, I'm present with you. You do not have to be afraid. And so here in Isaiah, the Lord is inviting the children of Israel to not be afraid, but rather to take courage. Continuing in verse 4, Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come. The Lord is promising He will come and, and justice will be had, that, that evil will have its due. That right will become the experience of the day. And even though he comes to bring justice, he also comes in verse 4, but he, but God will save you. Salvation is coming. Take courage. Fear not. Why? Because salvation, justice are coming your way. And then look at verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. And the lame will leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. And the waters will break forth in the wilderness. And there will be streams in Arabah. There will be streams in the desert. Oh, take courage. Don't be afraid. Take courage. Because one day, one day we'll be able to see. And one day the lame will be able to leap. Because salvation is coming. Now with this picture in mind, let's go to Acts chapter 3. For you see in Acts chapter 3, we see the fulfillment of Acts 35 beginning to take place. Now we reflect a little bit over the last couple of weeks as we've worked our way through these first couple of chapters of Acts 2. And in Acts chapter 2 verse 46... We see what the church is doing as the early church is, is being formed. In verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. They were breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. There was a, a, a joy in the fellowship of God's people. They were praising God. They were having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their numbers. What was the early church doing? The early church was 
building community and quantity and fellowship with each other. And now we look at chapter 3. One particular day, as they were going to the temple, as Peter and John were on their way to the temple, as I assumed that others in this early church were going to the temple. Why? Because the scripture tells us that day by day, they went to the temple to praise and to pray and to share about Christ. So we pick up the story in chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John were going to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man, and chapter 4, verse 22, tells us that this man was over 40 years of age. He was born lame. He was born where he couldn't walk. The, the scripture indicates, remember, Acts was written by Luke, who was a doctor. And Luke indicates in, in the language here that this man was lame at his ankles, at his feet. And that they were, they were lame, and so he couldn't walk. He couldn't support his, his weight and stand up. And so he was had to be taken everywhere that he went. A man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to sit down every day, every day for what, almost 40 years? Every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those entering the temple. Well, at 3 o'clock every day, that's the ninth hour, at 3 o'clock every afternoon, people of Jerusalem went to the temple to pray. And this man and those who cared for him knew that if he was sitting there at the gate about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, that people would be coming to go to church, to go to worship, to go to pray. And that was a good strategic place to be. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple... He began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate. Okay, Who used to sit at the beautiful gate for 40 years because he couldn't walk. And they were filled with wonder. And amazement at what had happened to him. It was three o'clock in the afternoon and Peter and John and the early church was going to the temple. Maybe that was their custom was to meet at the temple and, and to pray together and to, to worship together, to, to, to praise together. And to certainly to tell the stories of Jesus together. And they were on their way that day. I suspect they'd been on their way uh, through the beautiful gate, through other gates in the temple uh, to, to worship all of their life. It was what they did every day. But something was different on this day. Something was different because this time, as they came across this lame man, as this lame man began to ask for an offering for alms, something changed. You see, one of the three pillars of Judaism, 
is kindness. And the most popular and the most common way that kindness was expressed in that culture was giving alms, was giving an offering, was giving a gift to the poor. And so as people were going to worship, as people were going to express kindness, here was this man who they were given the opportunity to give a gift to, to express their faith, to express the kindness that their, uh, that their God encouraged them to give and to offer. But this time, this time something different happened. And again, I think it goes back to Isaiah 35.5 because Isaiah 35.5 tells us that the eyes of the blind will be opened. And this time, as this man was begging at the beautiful gate, sight became different. Eyes became opened. Now imagine the sight. A, a, a beggar, a lame man, I'm sure was dressed poorly to catch the attention of those that would come by, sitting there by what's called the beautiful gate. And archaeologists have had some, there's a lot of discussion about where this gate is and exactly what it looks like. But Josephus provides a little bit of information. He says it's most likely was the Corinthian gate, the Corinthian gate referring to its, its majesty, its fineness. That this gate in particular was, was covered in bronze and had silver and gold inlaid in it. And that it, when the sun would shine on this beautiful gate, it would just sparkle. It would be an amazingly beautiful way to enter into the temple. And here beside this beautiful gate was this poor lame man. Josephus goes on to say that there was a, a bronze carving above the gate that had the vine, the vine symbolizing Israel's covenant relationship with, with God, the vine in which the fruit was, was, was shared on Israel was, was the vine, it was the fruit that God was using to bless all of the world. And as we walk into the beautiful gate, we're reminded of the fruit of Israel. And yet we see this poor lame beggar. There's a contrast there, isn't there? Yet, something beautiful is going on, right? Something beautiful is going on at that gate with that beggar because, because why? Because people are giving their offerings. They're giving alms. They're giving to this poor man. And there's something that is always beautiful when people reach out and give an offering. Give to help someone who is in need. So at this beautiful gate where this lame man is at, there's an act of beauty that's taking place as people are going to worship. An act of beauty that all the world should copy and practice, right? But something's going on. You see, in the kingdom of God, beauty continues to evolve and beauty continues to be revealed. And something is going on in the midst of this early church. Something is going on as people begin to see differently. 
And so as we look back at chapter 3, look at verse 3 and look at the words that, that refer to the way we see when he saw. But Peter and John fixed their gaze. Look at us. You see, eyes are being opened in a different way. You see, the, this beggar saw Peter and, and, and John and, and he looked up at them and he caught their attention. Right? He was looking at them. And you know how it is when you're walking along and someone needs something and, and you catch eye-to-eye -eye contact and they ask you and, and you can't help but give them something, right? And so, regrettably, a lot of times we, we see someone in need and we go like this, right? Because <laughs> we don't want to go eye-to-eye with them. Yet here they are as, as Peter and John are walking into the temple. They, they catch the gaze of this poor man. And when he does, he, he calls out to him and he says... Oh, sir, would you give me an offering? Would you, would you give me something? And I suspect Peter and John had passed by this man in this gate many times, but they saw something new and they stopped, saw something different. And Peter stopped. And he looked down at this man and he said, Look at us. Look at us. No, look at us. No, look. Because their gaze was different. And they were beginning to understand that there, there was something even more beautiful that they could offer at the gate called beautiful than just some coins. And Peter looked at this man and said, silver and gold have we none. But what we do have, what we do have, we want to give you, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. You see, James and John, I believe, were able to appear into this man's heart and into his soul. They were able to see, they were able to gaze into him, and they discovered that what he really didn't need, although he did need, right? Silver and gold, what he really needed was faith in Christ. What was at the core of his, his need and, and of his being was to come into relationship with Christ. And so Peter and John reached down and in the name of Jesus, walk. And, and they reached down and it grabbed him by the hand and pulled him up. And he began to walk. No, he began to leap. And he began to praise God, Isaiah 35, 6, and the kingdom of God comes, the lame will leap like a deer. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus is an invitation to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's an invitation to come under his lordship, under his authority. To embrace the identity of, of Christ himself and to, to follow after him. Peter had already said to repent and, and to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin. To come and to respond in the name of Jesus means you submit yourself to the lordship of Christ. Receiving his gift of grace and forgiveness and of healing. And that when we are lame, the power of God can transform and bring healing into our life. You pick up this revelation that's going on. Remember what was key about Judaism at that time? You could not say the name of God. You could not say the name of God. 
Yet here, Peter and John are saying, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of God. Rise and walk. And those that follow after Christ. Those that come under His authority and lordship are given His authority, are given His power to go and to minister and to speak in His name. And John and Peter saw something different in this man. and They offered him a relationship with Christ. In, verse three, in chapter 3, verse 8, with a leap he stood upright, walking and leaping and praising God. And the one who could not enter the temple because he was unclean, the one who could not enter the temple because he could not walk, was now walking and jumping and leaping and praising God in the temple. The lame one who begged at the beautiful gate was now beautifully worshiping God in the temple. And the people were filled with wonder and amazement. And they began to gather outside of, the, of that area there by Solomon's porch began to talk about what was going on and what they had seen. And Peter and John became aware of that. And look at verse 12. When Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us? Here we are. We're looking again, right? We're, we're still blind. We're, why are you gazing at us? What are you trying to see? As if by our own power or if by our own piety, we made this person to walk. So Peter's asking the question. Here's the question you guys are talking about, right? How in the world did we, did I make him walk? Look at verse 16. Peter answers the question. On the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus, not the name of Peter, not the name of John. It is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Do you pick, pick up on that? It's the first time in the book of Acts that the word faith is used. It's the first time. How was this man healed? By faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would have the courage. Yes, to give gold and silver where, where we can. Because that's a good thing to do. It's a beautiful thing to do. But oh, that we would have the courage to stop and to gaze. And to look into the hearts of those around us that are hurting, that are begging, that are pleading for help, that we would look and gaze into their heart and we would offer them what they truly need. That in the name of Jesus, by faith in Jesus, that they would be able to walk, to be healed of what they struggle with. So church, what shall we do? Church, we must take courage. We must be courageous. Thomas Aquinas called upon the Pope one afternoon as, as the Pope was counting a large sum of money. And the Pope said to Thomas Aquinas, the church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. And Thomas looked at him and said, you're right, Pope. And neither can the church say, arise and walk. 
Church, we are called to work and to walk and to live under the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. And we are called, as I said, certainly to share silver and gold as we are able to. But oh, that we would understand that the one thing that we can share and must share is our faith in Christ. And seeing that be manifested in our lives and in the lives of those around us. What shall we do? Oh, that we would cry, look at us. But don't look at me because of me. Don't look at us because of us. Look at us and through us may you see Jesus Christ. You see, what we do have, we give you. And the unique thing that we give as the people of God in this place is Jesus Christ and faith in Him. Let us be faithful to this calling. Would you pray with me?